Thanks so much to Greg for the conversation. To learn more about Greg and B3 Coffee, check out the link in the podcast description of this episode. If you'd like to learn beyond this podcast how Autism Personal Coach can be helpful to you and to reduce your daily overwhelm and get the things you need and want in your life, then book a Zoom call with me today. A link to book the call can be found in the podcast description of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories. And if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it would be very much appreciated. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will discuss coaching for autistics. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you would like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. We all need community, some type of connection with others. I always do better connecting with others when I'm eating food or I'm drinking a hot cup of coffee. That's why I'm excited to talk with Greg Bowler, who joins this episode of Autism Stories to discuss B3 Coffee, a nonprofit pop-up coffee stand dedicated to bringing people together with carefully crafted specialty coffee. Greg also talks with us about improving occupational therapy for neurodivergent folks and discusses much more. We Hope you enjoy today's conversation. Greg, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks. Glad to be here. Wanted to start out and learn, where does your story in the autistic community begin? I mean, I guess it starts when I was born, but I was not diagnosed until I was 21. I did in first grade have a teacher who had me test it. She was like, I think he's autistic. So she had me assessed, but this was in the 90s where they weren't really as aware of the full spectrum of autism. Basically, an IQ test ruled me out. So I had to wait. I didn't pursue anything past that point, waited until I was 21, and then it had some other medical issues. And while I had that happening, I went to a therapist, and the therapist kind of had experience with this and he brought it up. But I mean, I guess that shows that there are issues with the diagnostic criteria, you know, and that's why there are a lot of missed cases. For sure. There was there was plenty of problems in the 1990s and there still is today. Yep. <laughs> now, you recently um, are, are an occupational therapy grad. Congratulations. Thank you. And you're the co-founder of Neurodiversity OT, a page on Instagram, whose purpose is uplifting a neurodiversity paradigm within the profession of occupational therapy. 
What do you see as some of the keys um, in uplifting this paradigm um, in OT? Okay, first I'll just briefly do, I'm not going to assume that anybody, everybody knows what neurodiversity is, so just briefly, neurodiversity is just like biodiversity, there are different brains within our world, and just like the natural variation of different creatures and plants, there's natural variation of the human mind and how we learn and think. So within the field of OT specifically, this is why we started this OTs for Neurodiversity page. We feel like that it's important to uplift this paradigm, you know, going away from the medical model, basically, because the medical model with OT is where we're kind of grounded right now. And it has that fix it mentality. And when we do that, we are kind of perpetuating the idea that differences equal value or like different and less. Because when you come into a position of, okay, I am going to cure or fix or whatever blank this individual, you're basically constructing a power hierarchy right there and letting them know that like you are below me. I'm going to educate you on how you should be um, existing and how you should be learning. Specifically for OT, we really stress client-centeredness in our practice. And in order to do that, we need to adopt, for me, I'm using the neurodiversity paradigm, but adopt a paradigm that is strengths-based and identity-affirming and values self-determination of the individual because that's what client-centered is, individualized. Mm. So that's kind of why we began this page because we believe there needs to be a shift. And on your um, Instagram page, you look to examine the enactment, enactment of occupation and OT through the lens of Renaissance ideals. So that sounds really interesting, but what the heck does that mean to you? <laughs> okay, so I have another side thing, which is Renaissance OT. But I guess it starts really just from self-indulgence, honestly. As a child, you have role models. And one of my role models or ideals that I liked when I was a kid was the idea of the Renaissance man. As an autistic person, I have a lot, I have special interests. I do not have few special interests. I have many, and I get very good at things, whether it be like woodworking or cooking or, you know, gardening. So I really like that idea of being a polymath and being a doer of many things. When I was a kid, one of my role models was definitely Leonardo da Vinci. I just saw like a lot. I just, liked how he did things. And I remember I was reading a book, um, probably when I was a teenager, and I was reading about how, like some of his designs that he had come up with, and one of the designs he came up with was a uh, defense system for castles, which like repelled ladders, like enemy ladders. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I went back in my sketchbook, I guess once an artist, always an artist, but I used to draw a lot. And I went back in my sketchbooks from when I was like 10 or 11, and I had designed a similar ladder repulsion system. I, to this day, still think mine is far more practical and effective, but his was way more elegant and genius, and he had the flair. Fast forward to OT school. I'm in OT school, and I am learning a bunch of OT like theory about occupation and occupational justice and all these ideas, and I took a special interests break to look up stuff about the Renaissance. And when I was looking that up, I saw there was like these key foundational elements to the Renaissance. And I noticed that a lot of them, the ones that I'm using, like skepticism, classicism, mastery, versatility, and individualism, I could use these as a way to learn. Like I could 
twist them and tweak them so that I could use them to understand theory. So it was initially done out of a need to learn this content. And then it kind of became, oh my gosh, I can use this in my practice someday. Now, one of the Renaissance um, ideals that I feel really connected to is individualism. How do you apply um, that ideal in your life? I'm glad you asked about that. For me, individualism is really, I think individualism is that idea of like determining your identity and then expressing it. So identity work is, is huge in our field, especially within the disability community. And we all know that we're on like this ongoing lifelong process to construct and negotiate and like accommodate aspects of our identity. But we're often embarking on this journey from a place where we're responding to our contextual factors. And one of those contexts that's influencing how we create our identity is conforming to dominant norms and ideals. And I felt like the idea, the Renaissance idea of individualism is kind of pushing up against that. And I like that idea because it encourages like the emergence of the individual from those contexts. And that means it's organically encouraging. Number one, authenticity, which I'm huge on as an autistic person, and diversity, which I'm also huge on because I think diversity drives innovation and creation and is just a super valuable part of our society. For me, uh, Renaissance ideal of individualism has to do with authenticity and diversity and striving to be authentic. Now, a few minutes ago, you brought up a few of your special interests, and I'm always amazed by anyone that can do anything with their hands because I can't make anything. So what do you do much with wood, woodworking and what kind of things do you make? Yes, I love woodworking because I like the medium of wood. So I've done like creating furniture, but also just stuff like, you know, building a deck, problem solving a, you know, a broken fence or whatever. And also it's come into play with our, which we'll talk about later with our E3 coffee in creating certain adaptive devices for some of our team members. But yeah, like birdhouses, whatever, whatever strikes my fancy that day. I like doing something that is with my hands. I'm creating. I, I need to be able to create. I need to be inspired. And the added bonus of woodworking, those types of things, is that when I'm done, I have something, I've produced something that I can use. So it wasn't wasted time. You know, I don't feel like I wasted time because I'm going to use it. I needed it. Now, beyond you know, OT, you are a board member of, of something you just mentioned, uh, B3 Coffee, which is an inclusive pop-up coffee stand. So how did you become involved in this business? Okay, so my partner is one of the other co-founders, and she had started it up before we were in a nonprofit business. She had started it up as just a, like a community group and a pop-up coffee stand. I got pulled in through her, but she did use my special interests to pull me in. She was like, oh, this thing is broken. Can you fix this for us? <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, sure. And then I met the team members who many of them are neurodivergent or have intellectual disability or, or other kinds of disabilities. And because I was diagnosed late and stayed busy with work through school, I did, never really had an opportunity to connect with the disability community and create that positive like neurodivergent identity. And so this was also one of my first exposures to a group of individuals with disabilities. So that really is what pulled me in eventually is like I found my people. So yeah. 
There isn't a day that goes by where I'm not having a cup of coffee. And coffee shops have really exploded in popularity in the last uh, decade or two. You know, there are many things in coffee shops, though, from a sensory perspective that um, are overwhelming. How important is the sensory experience um, in relation to B3 coffee? It is important. So B3's three ideals are, the, they're three Bs. So one of them is being, and that's appreciating diverse ways of being and giving space for that diversity. And then two is belonging, and that is creating spaces where everybody feels like they belong. And then number three is becoming, and that's becoming better together and inviting diversity into our communities and into our lives. So that middle one, belonging, is kind of goes with what you were saying about the sensory the sensory challenges sometimes with coffee shops and stuff because we encourage individuals with B3 to participate in whatever way is going to be best for them. Some individuals do the pop-ups and work the stands and stuff and some individuals are more interested in we have weekly social meetings we have two times a week and we also have a big branch of what we do that uses our expertise as OTs is to do a bunch of community programming opportunities. So some individuals are there for the social, some individuals are there for the coffee, some individuals are there for the programming, and some are there for all three. So we encourage individuals to participate in whatever's way best for them because that's the idea is creating that space where everybody belongs. For me, for example, we have weekly Wednesday meetings and there's 30 or 40 people on these meetings. And that's sensory overwhelming for me. <laughs> so... My choice is to come every other week. I kind of like moderated it down to my level, where my comfort level is. But we do value definitely the vast array of sensory differences that individuals with disabilities have recently, because we do have a lot of individuals with intellectual disability. One of the problems we've seen with that population is there's presumed incompetence and there's presumed you don't need to know. There's this attitude of, Disability pride, neurodiversity, these concepts like sensory differences that you're talking about, they won't comprehend it, so we're not going to give them that information to use when they create their identity. So one of the programming things that we've done recently is we had a sensory social, and we basically explored sensory differences with each other through food, music, touch, movement, and presented it in a way that was accessible for them. So that they are equipped with that knowledge of, oh, you know what? I experience sensory this way, but other people may experience it this way. I know I don't like blank, so I can advocate. That's the next step is advocacy. I can advocate for X, Y, and Z within the workplace. So, yeah, I guess that kind of sort of answers it. Yeah. Now, coffee shops are essentially a, a fast food type of business, and so many times for those that work in this type of business, you have to work at a certain speed. For those that maybe this speed may be challenging, how does B3 support these individuals in being able to provide their best work for you without being penalized for not moving at you know, a fast enough pace? That's a super interesting question. So I think first is that Number one, we want to put people in positions where they are doing something they enjoy. Like if French press is something you're interested, but you're not interested in cold brew, 
then we're going to work on French press. So putting them in positions where they enjoy, because when you enjoy something, you're inherently more likely to work at it if you're struggling. And number two, we try to provide the support for those individuals that they need to access it in a way that is going to be meaningful and is going to be, I don't want to say efficient because that's, we don't really have productivity standards. We want to present it. We want to do it in a way that's going to be meaningful for them and that's going to present them in a dignified light. That's one of the things we do at B3 is we have different kinds of coffee brewing methods, not necessarily just like, you know, pulling a tap for drip coffee. Um, We want to show that our team members have value and by having them do this kind of expertise type of coffee brewing, it's presenting them in a dignified light. And we do it within an integrated workplace. So they are doing the exact same task that somebody without a disability is doing. And as the consumer, you see, oh, there's no difference between these two people. They're both able to do this task. And it kind of challenges the stigma around disability. So for me, honestly, so long story short, I guess, is we do task analysis with each individual, provide them with the supports, make sure that it's meaningful to them. And for me, at the end of the day, if you're doing your best job, like if you're trying your hardest on it, I really don't care how fast you're going (laughs) because anybody that's going to hold you is going to get mad at you for not being fast enough when you're trying your best. I don't know. I just, yeah, trying your best is really the big part for me. I'm always willing to wait a couple minutes longer for a yeah. good hot cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, uh, how can our listeners learn more about uh, B3 Coffee? B3 is on Instagram and Facebook as B3 Coffee. And then online, it is B3CoffeeStand.com. It will eventually be B3Coffee.com. We're getting a completely revamped, super accessible for people of all abilities website. Um, so B3 Coffee online and in social media. And my most important question to you today, what is your favorite thing to eat or drink at B3? Mm, okay, so drink. I'm a cold brew person with like a touch of oat milk. Don't overdo it. Give me cold brew with a touch of oat milk. And then for eating, so our partners, our coffee roaster, we have a specialty blend that we've just kind of crafted and our coffee roasters, as well as our, our people that do our bakery items, are both social impact-driven nonprofits as well in the disability space. So our bakery items, they have an awesome kitchen, a really good chef, and they give us new items all the time. But my favorite so far has been a blueberry lemon scone that was kind of more cakey than dry. And so I was a huge fan of that. I ate two of them, um, took one home. So. <laughs> sounds, sounds great. And it was really great to talk with you today, Greg. Thanks so much uh, for making time for the conversation. Awesome. Thank you for having me.